If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6, and beginning in uh, verse 45. Guys, don't worry, I have to be in Macon, Georgia after this. I'm speaking at a, a leadership event tonight, and uh, so we're, I know you guys want to hit the buffet before the Baptists do. It's probably not going to happen, but you'll be close, all right, you'll be close. And uh, this is my seventh meeting in the last 13 days, so... I'm ready to roll. You guys ready? Mark, Mark chapter 6. Uh, if you don't mind, if I could ask, let's all stand just to hear the word of God. And we'll begin in verse 45. This is, you guys will be familiar with this passage of scripture about Jesus walking on water. Now listen, immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda. While he sent the multitude away. And when he had, had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing. Everybody say straining. Important part of this, 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 this uh, message. For the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they had saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. Everybody say a ghost. And cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And when they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, he marveled. And they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts was hardened. Another important passage for this message. Father, we love you. We ask you to minister today. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to do only what the Holy Spirit can do. We want to leave this place differently than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give your neighbor a high five, and you may have a seat this morning. I, it's unique that I'm in Florida today because when I talk about this story, I always tell people I grew up in South Florida. Now, how many of you guys are from South Florida? Fort Lauderdale, Miami, West Palm Beach. Any Palm Beach people here? Any West Palm Beach people? All right. Fort Lauderdale. All right. Broward County. Good deal. Miami? Dade County, right? All right. We used to whip you all in football. Anyways, we'd, uh, we, growing up in South Florida, there's two things you can absolutely bank on. We used to have these storms. You guys probably know them as hurricanes, right? <laughs> we just call it every day. But anyways, we have these storms called hurricanes. And, you know, thankfully for technology, uh, has come along that we can detect when these storms are coming, right? And we can have a few days warning, and it allows us to prepare for the storm. Come on, folks, right? But then there's these storms that happen almost every afternoon in the spring and in the summer, and we call them afternoon showers. Now, they come, at, you can wake up that morning, and the birds are chirping, and everyone's happy. You've had a wonderful breakfast. You get on I-95, and suddenly this storm out of nowhere, boom, comes. Completely disrupts traffic. People don't know how to drive in the rain. Accidents happen. You look at your neighbor and say, some people cannot drive. I almost said, say they're stupid people, but that would be rude, all right? So, so we have this storm, which is interesting. It comes in, 30 minutes later it's gone, but it just wreaks havoc. Now, how many of you know there's some storms of life that come that you can detect when they're coming? 
Now, folks, I'm the, I'm, I don't want to speak any doom and gloom, and I don't want to get into politics, but I'm going to tell you what, you better hold on because this election is going to be nasty, much nastier than it's already been. Everybody say storm. storm. All right? But then there's these storms that show up in life that they come out of nowhere. Right? You go to the doctor, you hear something you didn't think you would hear. You get a phone call, you lost somebody you never thought you would lose. Come on, folks, how many of you guys can relate with that? Now, i got to be honest with you, and I'm going to tell you what's kind of provoked this message for me. I have a deep concern of what's happening in the church globally. And I have an even deeper concern what's happening in the church in America. Because for some reason, we started equating numbers for true discipleship. And there's things coming across pulpits. There's books that are being written. And by the way, folks, this is not a message you're going to find on YouTube. You can't find it on the Internet because people aren't talking about this stuff. But there, there's books being written. There's messages coming across. And there's stuff that, says, that sounds like this. And it sounds wonderful because there is a biblical truth to it. But all we need is love. How many of you guys have heard that? Oh, God loves everyone. How many of you guys have heard that? It's so true. The love of God is not comprehensible. I mean, it's absolutely that God would send his only son. He would send his only son to die for us. And that he loves everyone, every race, color, creed, language. He loves all of us. How many of you guys believe that's true? And then you hear the other side of grace. Now, I just wrote a paper in seminary about this. But some people call it the hyper-grace movement. Now, I'm not here to offend anybody, but I want you guys to know something. Again, God's grace is unbelievable. You, you can't even imagine that his grace can cover the greatest of sins. In fact, the scripture says that, that when we repent, he's forgotten our sins. Everybody say grace. But let me tell you what love and grace has not done. It does not grant us a license to never change. In fact, I heard somebody say, well, once you repented for salvation, you never have to repent again. That is the biggest lie that's ever come from the depths of hell. Because the reality is, if you're going to put that under the banner of grace, here's the reality. Grace is not validated until repentance happens. Come on, folks. Grace is the road to repentance. It's the way to repentance. How many of you guys realize that? And so... What I see happening is that we are now developing a weak church. We're developing a church that doesn't understand that God doesn't only come to save us, he comes to change us. Come on, folks. He's come to, to reincarnate who we are. He's come in, in what has the scriptures call it, uh, the circumcision of our flesh, a circumcision of our heart. How many of you guys realize that? If God is in your life, if Jesus is, is the one you're living for, there should be a change. How many of you guys believe that? So people are embracing hyper grace, hyper love. And you know what? It's for good reason. Because we've had those old religious churches that always judged everybody for sneezing and saying a bad word. Come on, folks. They've, 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 they're going from the side of judgment and going to the other extreme of love and grace. But here's the problem. Their life isn't changing. There's no conforming. But here's what happens. When storms come, they don't know how to react. Come on, folks. And so you end up living under the spirit of condemnation. How many of you guys have ever been there? Right? Well, I'm going to share a couple things with you about storms. And I'm going to tell you there are benefits from a storm. Now, some of you might be saying, what are you talking about? No, there are benefits that come out of storms, and I'm going to give you three of them today. 
Now, before we get into that, I want to just point out four simple things. First of all, there's four things you need to know about storms before we get into the rest of this. Number one is storms are inevitable. Come on, folks. How many of you know I'm talking about metaphoric storms? Right? How many of you ever had your car break down and you don't know how you're going to fix it? How many of you open up the refrigerator, it's empty, and you got hungry kids? Come on, folks. Storms happen. It's part of life. We live in a fallen world, okay? Number two, you need to know, and this is probably one of the most encouraging things you'll hear all day, storms do pass. Come on, folks. They're going to pass. Just hang on. It's going to happen. Number three, Jesus will meet you in the middle of the storm. So often we say come to Jesus, but how many of you know Jesus will come to you? Right? Now, this last point, before we get into the main part of the message, I really want you to hear the words that I'm about to tell you. Because you're in the will of God does not exempt you from storms. I'm going to say it one more time. Because you're in the will of God does not exempt you from storms. Look at verse 45, if you will, with me for a moment. He says, immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he sent the multitude away. Everybody say immediately. Everybody say he. Everybody say made. Who's he? Jesus. I want you to see this. See, what had happened is that Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people miraculously. Now, a lot of people want to spiritualize this and say, you know, Jesus often had to go get by himself and make it spiritual. I just, <laughs> this is just me. I believe Jesus just got tired of hanging out with the disciples and needed some alone time. Come on, folks. Right? <laughs> Sends the disciples off. Now, it says he made them. He instructed them. He told them to get into the boat and to go to Bethesda. Now, how many of you know they were following the will of God? Jesus, their Lord, their master, their savior, told them to go. Everybody say the will of God. There is this misnomer that tells us that when we're in the will of God, nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. Come on, folks. I found that being in the will of God, I seem to fight bigger devils at those moments. Come on, folks. When I first went to Belgium, they told us that uh, the, the government gave us a visa, said you can live here, you can live here as long as you abide by the rules and you have to apply every year, but you can live here. I go to the city that I'm going to move in. They told me two things. They said, what is your profession? I said, well, I'm going to be a pastor in this city. And they said, and who are your people? And I said, well, we have a group of about 35 African people here. And they said, you're not living in our city because we don't need your Africans and we don't need a pastor. They fought me for nine months and I remember crying out to God. I remember saying, Lord, I'm following your will. I'm doing your purpose. I'm di- you should be protecting me. Come on, folks. Have you ever been there? <laughs> right? Well, one day I was on the train. And a man looked at me, and he kept looking at me. And it got uncomfortable, man. And he finally said in his broken English, are, are you Pastor Bill? Yes. And he said, I've been praying for you every day. I am a pastor that lives in the neighboring city. He said, we've never seen a successful church planted in the city of Roms. And I heard there was a big American. <laughs> Watch yourself. Okay. He, that is pa- planting a new church in the city of Roms. And finally, I realized 
we are facing resistance because we are in the enemy's territory. Come on, folks. We're facing a storm because there's a resistance to the destiny that God had for that city. Come on now. So I come to Miami to speak at a conference. And when I got back on the plane, they, were, they didn't let me get back on the plane. They told me. They said, you don't have a visa to return. We have no proof that you're going to leave there. And I said, well, I don't need to leave. I live there. Oh, you live there. Give us your identity card. That's what you have to have from the city. So I said, look, man, my house is there. My family's there. My kids are there. What can I do? They said, you have to buy another plane ticket today to prove that you're going to leave Belgium. 600 bucks on the spot out of my wallet. Now, let me tell you something. There's two things you don't do, three things you don't do to a guy like me. First of all, you don't mess with my family. Come on, folks. Mess with my family. I'll forget all about my ordination card. In fact, I'll just leave it and show up on your doorstep. Number two, you don't mess with my lunch. <laughs> Pastor Scott knows. <laughs> and number three, you don't mess with my money. And they just cost me 600 bucks. I'm telling you what, I got off the plane, I went straight to the city hall, and I told those people, I said, you better give me my identity card. You better give it to me today. You costing me money. I've abided by the law. And the man got so violent, he said, I'm going to deport your family. I said, I'm going to jump over this counter. <laughs> I just want you, long story short, my wife told me, stop intimidating people. And I said, I'm not intimidating anybody. I got my identity card two days later, praise the Lord, all right? <laughs> in the midst of that storm, I couldn't understand how being in the will of God, I could be facing such trouble that they're going to deport my family. But I'm here to tell you that just as the disciples got in that boat, being in the will of God does not exempt you from storms. And here's the problem. When people who are, who are, who are growing up in weak discipleship-based churches and fellowship, and they never learn how to stand on their own in their own relationship with God, when the storms come, they don't know how to deal with it. Come on, folks. So I'm going to give you three things that are pulled out of us in the midst of a storm. And these three things are all benefits to the storm. How many of you guys feel like this will help you? This is how I knew when I heard the lady's testimony today and I heard the journey she's been through, I said, all right, God, this is clear. This is the direction we're going. Number one, <clears throat> benefit of the storm. Storms will expose your character. Now listen, you look at verse 48. It says, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Jesus was walking on the water, and he saw them fighting. He saw them straining. Now, folks, how many of you ever seen somebody who, uh, or maybe, maybe this is you, you had so many bad things happen in the day. When you get home, you go to bed at 6 o'clock, so nothing else bad will happen that day. <laughs> Come on, folks, how many of you guys have ever been there? Right? People avoid confrontation. Well, here's the problem. When you avoid confrontation, you're exposing your character because when you avoid confrontation, you don't learn how to deal with it, and therefore you lose the opportunity to get a life skill on how to function through problems. These disciples were in the boat, and they were working together. You realize nobody was fighting. These guys have been fishermen. They know what kind of weather they're dealing with. No, you know, somebody could have easily said, why didn't you tell Jesus a storm would come? It's that time of day. No, this is what happens corporately. When stuff hits the church, everyone starts blaming each other. Come on, folks. 
But these guys, their character is being proven because they're going to fight the storm. They're working together. There's no one blaming anyone. They're pushing through. And I'm telling you, the attitude they had was we might die, but we're not going down without a swing. Come on, folks. Amen. Their character is being exposed in the process. Now you say, how does that a benefit? Because when you realize when that storm comes and you realize in your character, you learn how to give up. That's a starting point to move forward. Let me give you an example. Um, I wasn't the greatest high school student. Uh, something very negative happened to me when I was 10 years old. I learned how to surf. Don't look at me so judgmental. I wasn't always this way. But I was an avid surfer, and I moved out of my house when I was 15 years old, and I went really far. I ran to Grandma's house. But I had almost no supervision. So in high school, when I got up in the morning, I lived in South Florida. When the weather was right, I didn't have to call the surf line. I just knew there was waves, and there wasn't going to be any school that day. So I missed 174 days of school in three years. Struggled to pass. Now, here's something a lot of people don't know. I ended up dropping out of school, getting a GED, because God had called me. Had an encounter with God at 17 years old. The call of God on my life. So I'm going to go to Bible college. I dropped out of the first two classes I had. Want to know why? No. <laughs> the discipline I had developed in high school was following me into adulthood. Come on, folks. When you, have, when you live a life of giving up, you'll give up the rest of your life. But I want to have you know something. I have a bachelor's degree and, th and two master's degree. I'm, thir I'm pursuing my, my third one because I felt like I needed one in Europe. And I'm joining the Ph.D. program that is in Amsterdam because it's free, connected to the school that I'm going to. And I want you to know I graduated with straight A's. I graduated from Grace College in 2013 with the second highest GPA out of all of the graduate school. It took years of discipline because I stopped running from my fear. Come on, folks. Now, I'm paying the price now, Pastor, because I never took Greek or Hebrew, and in seminary they're making me do it. I avoided it because, you know, Americans only speak one language, right? You know. Look at your neighbor and say, character. Number two, storms will expose your fears. Look at verse 49 and 50. And when they saw him walking on the sea. Who is him? When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they saw him and were troubled. Now, this, this blows me away. These guys had been traveling with Jesus. They just watched him take a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread and feed miraculously 5,000. One of the accounts in one of the Gospels of this story said there were 12 baskets left over. They've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet, when they saw him walking on water, they feared him. Now, folks, let me tell you something about the church, and please don't get offended when I say this. And let me say this, particularly the charismatic Pentecostal churches. Let me tell you something about it. We fear things we don't understand. What they had never seen Jesus walk on water before. You realize that? They have never seen him do this. 
in my opinion, I used to say this as a youth pastor, Jesus was just coming at them a way they had never seen before. So when I came to Jesus at 17, I'm going to tell you, it, it wasn't the, really the local church that, that brought me to Jesus. I mean, it certainly introduced me to Jesus. But what got my attention is I went to a Petra concert. How many old rock and roll guys we have here, all right? Petra was my band. God gave rock and roll to you, gave rock and roll to you, put it in the heart of everyone. I mean, and I was at a Petra concert when I, when I surrendered to the call of God in my life. It was a Petra concert that caught my attention. Come on, folks. We see in the 80s, people didn't like that. We were compromising the church. No, it was Jesus coming to me in a different way than I've ever seen him before. So when you're in the middle of your storm, let me tell you what it does. It, it doesn't only expose your fears, it exposes your weaknesses. I mean, I'm going to tell you how that works. I, uh, I grew up in South Florida, but, you know, I grew up to a bunch of rednecks. My whole family were, you guys know what rednecks are, right? Is that okay to say that here? Some of you looked really proud right then. I am one. Okay. And, and to be honest, I had a hard time relating with that side of my family, man. I, I like diversity, and I like surfing. You know, you don't see a lot of redneck surfing, all right? Uh, by the way, that doesn't mean the color of your neck. If you're <clears throat> So when I got about 20 years old, I discovered my inner redneck. You know, I got into fishing. So I bought a John boat from my friend Mike, and I did what every good redneck would do. I put the boat on top of my car tied it down to the bumpers, and I went to the lake, and I'll never forget buying this boat, $250, and I'm going to go fishing by myself for the first time, and I went out there with my baseball cap, and I don't chew dip, so I just put some gum <laughs> right there, you know, and I put the boat in the water, and I got about 20 feet from the shore, and the boat started filling up with water. I mean, I'm about to drown in three foot of water. I was so angry. I jumped out of that boat, grabbed that boat, drug it up on shore. I went to the closest payphone. All right, those of you that are under the age of 30, they used to have these phones. You put coins in it, and you can dial a number for at least six minutes before you got to put more in there. All right, kind of dating my, come on, some of you are happy about it. Praise the Lord. He's as old as I am. Praise the Lord. The kids are still like, I go to the payphone and I call the guy that sold me the boat. I said, Mike, you sold me a broke boat. And he said, what are you talking about? Man, I put that boat in the water and the boat started sinking. I paid you $250 for this boat. You sold me a broke boat. And he said something that just revolutionized my thinking about boats. He said, Bill, did you put the plug in the back of the boat? It was a John boat. I didn't realize there's a little hole in the back so that you can clean the boat and get all the stuff out. So when he said, did you put the plug in, I said, well, does it have electricity? See, that experience, that experience showed me the weakness of that boat. How many of you guys hear what I'm saying? And it allowed me to adjust to fix that problem. See, that's what storms will do. 
it will expose your weaknesses. It will expose your fears. It will expose your character. But you see, the benefit is when it exposes it, it's now an opportunity to move on from there. It's now an opportunity to make the corrections that need to be made. How many of you guys can receive that? Now, now the last point is this. And this is one of the most profound things. I think Pastor Scott's going to like this because there's a little revelation in this. You guys ready? Storms can create a greater intimacy with God. Come on, folks. Now, before I read the passage, the, where I'm going to pull this from, by the way, for all you preachers, I'm very much a textual preacher. You're, how many of you guys have studied in Bible school or anything like that at all? Three types of sermons, typical, expository, and, 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 and scriptural, textual. I'm textual. Okay, everything comes from the text. Now, greater intimacy. How many of you realize that when you walk through something and you survive and you know the only reason you were able to get through is because God was with you? How many of you know you have a greater level of intimacy with him? You understand him from a different way. If I was to walk through this room today and tell me and say, who is Jesus to you? How many of you know we would get different answers all over the room? He's my healer. He's my best friend. He's my deliverer. We would hear different things because that's people's experience with him. So in the midst of storms, it can produce a greater intimacy with God. In, fo- in fact, folks, uh, when I look at our ministry teams, you know, I, I look at some of these young guys that have never been through anything, and I just tell them, come hang out with us so we can mess you up a little bit. The people I count on are the people that have been through something. People I count on through, they have the scars to show, to show from the wars that they've been in, and the scar means they've survived. Come on, folks. Amen. So here's what I want you to see. Look with me towards the end of this area that we've read, and look at verse, uh, get to my notes, verse 51 and 52. Listen to this. Now Jesus is walking. In fact, it says he almost passed him by. Then they cried out to him. Now look at verse 51. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. Now listen what happens after this. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. I'm going to break this down in two parts for you. They were amazed. What are they amazed about? They've seen him turn water into wine. They just saw the supernatural feeding multitudes of people. They've seen him heal people. What are they amazed about? They are absolutely amazed. They're marveled. Why weren't they amazed before this? Come on, folks. And then it says they pretty much ignored the miracle with the loaves of bread because their heart was hardened. Now, I'm going to start backwards and work into this. Now, listen. How many of you know we can become so desensitized to the moving of God We can come to church on Sundays and just go through the motions because we know when worship is going to end. We know when the announcements are going to come up. We know when they're going to take the offering. And we know that the preacher is going to preach. And by a certain time every week we're done and you just go through the motions. Come on, folks. I hate to say it, but we're only six chapters in the book of Mark. And the disciples have obviously have already gotten this way with Jesus. Their hearts were hardened because, well, this is just what he does. 
But here's what amazes me. And I'm telling you, when I read this and I started looking it up, I realized this was the first time. Everybody say first time. They've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. But this was the first time they needed a miracle from him. This, they've seen him touch other lives, but this is the first time they needed him. Sometimes you cannot relate to other people because you've never gone through it yourself. But when you go through the storm and you realize it was only by the grace of God that you made it through, when you walk through it and you realize if it wasn't for him, you never would have made it, when you realize I survived the storm because God got me through, you develop a greater intimacy with God and you can declare like the lady said today, I'm ready for my calling because the God that I believed in is faithful and just and able, not because someone told me, but because I know. They marveled because now they've experienced what everybody else did. It amazes me. I was listening to uh, someone else talk about this passage recently, and he said something that was profound. Because as we read, It said that Jesus just started walking on the water. And he was just going to pass them by. He was just going to go on to Bethesda and wait for them. But they cried out. Now they called him a ghost, which means a demon. Because they'd never seen him do that before. That created fear in their lives. But when they cried out, that's when Jesus responded. Now this will mess up every faith preacher who has ever preached about just believe and confess. They didn't cry out to him out of faith, come save us. They cry out out of fear. And he still showed up. Come on, folks. Storms will expose your character, will expose your fears, and they'll create a deeper level of intimacy. In the Christian life, when we go through storms, what do we hear? They must have done something wrong. There must be sin. And listen, often that's true. But there are benefits in the storm that will develop a deeper level of character, a deeper level of faith, and a deeper level of intimacy in our lives. I'm not praying that storms attack your life, but I am telling you storms are inevitable. And that in those storms, we can become closer. You know, the greatest testimonies, the people who have the greatest platform for ministry are people who have been through something. Very, very, not very often do you hear a preacher get up and say, I've been saved my entire life. I've never done anything wrong. I grew up in the church. And I just love serving Jesus. And thank God for that. But how many of you know those don't become the big names? It's the people who have gone through something. How many guys can receive that today? Amen. Amen. I just want to pray for you this morning before we go. And I hope you feel encouraged by this today. And believe me, this comes 
from a great, I, I wrote this message about three years ago. It comes from a great uh, deal of pain out of my life. But there's one thing that I've earned from, learned from God. He will never waste a moment of your pain. Your pain can become a testimony when you allow him to be your refuge. So I want to pray for you today. Could I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to ask, first of all, if you've ever gone through something and you're still carrying a wound through those storms, but today you feel that God brought you to this place so that you can be set free, just as the testimony we heard from the woman today, how the retreat set her free. Maybe the Lord brought you here today. If that's you this morning and you'd say, I know the Lord is healing me right now emotionally. I know that he's healing me to have greater intimacy with him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Father, I love you. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for these people who are honest enough to say, I've been through the storms. I've been wounded. But today I see that God is faithful. And Lord, we pray that you become their rescue. You become their refuge. You become their healer. You become their provider. You do everything possible, Lord, to meet them where they are. And Lord, let this moment, let these reflections of these storms expose the weaknesses that are in their lives so that we can come closer to you. In Jesus' name. Now let me ask you just to put your hands down for a moment. If you're in this place today, and I won't take long, but you know that you're away from him. You're away from God. Maybe you've lived for him in days past, but you're not living for him now. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. If that's you today, and you would say, today, my biggest problem is I'm not living for him. If that's you this morning, you'd say, I want to give my life back to Jesus. Or I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Would you just raise your hand where you're at? Are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. I see three hands this morning. Four hands this morning. Anyone else? And say, that's me. That's me. Six people. Let's pray this prayer together. Everyone with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You're the only way the only truth, and the only life. And today, I surrender everything to you. Today, from the depths of my heart, I declare you're my King of kings and Lord of lords. I surrender everything. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.